How long do you spend on your phone on any given day? If you were to try and guess in minutes and maybe hours, how long do you think that would be? A few weeks back, I downloaded an app onto my phone called Moment to try and track this. I opened it up and was greeted with, "Hello, Moment enables you to use your phone in a healthy way, so you can present for the parts of life that matter most." I then pressed the option to track my screen time for one day. Letting it run in the background, I checked back in just as I was going to sleep. And when I opened it up, what I saw was pretty eye-opening. I'd spent 5 hours and 39 minutes on my phone that day alone. Now, this was just me looking at my smartphone. This doesn't include the time I spent staring at my work computer, watching TV, or playing PlayStation. If you add all that together, I spent the vast majority of my day planted in front of a screen. A lot of people might gawk at this and say I'm addicted to my phone, and they're not entirely wrong. Sometimes I find my hand reaching for my phone before my brain catches up to what I'm doing. But on the flip side, as these devices become a fundamental part of our lives, why do we keep judging people on how much they use them? Today, we're looking at both sides of the coin. You'll learn when our relationship with technology can turn into an addiction. But also, are we quick to demonize the tech? that make our connected lives possible. This is Think Digital Futures. I'm Jake Morkham. At times I will joke and say that I'm addicted to my phone. This is something a lot of us say. We use it metaphorically to denote a usage style of digital media. But Ryan Alley from Bournemouth University in the UK says if you look at most people's behavior they might seem to be using their phone all the time or constantly checking it this doesn't actually constitute having a digital addiction a digital addiction is when your use of technology causes you harm that is characterized by being compulsive impulsive uh, hasty and some harm associated with it so a usage of that kind comes usually with some degree of harm as well how might that manifest could be anxiety feeling overwhelmed luke vu is a psychologist who specializes in digital addictions the other flavor um, i tend to see is uh, relationships so that tends to struggle you can't really have like some sort of tech or digital addiction and be in a relationship it can affect even their hygiene it can affect their health physical health as well some people can have irregular meals because of that they cannot have family time because of the worry about what is happening online and the fear of missing out digital addiction is used as an umbrella term referring to anything from smartphone use to social media online gambling and gaming in extreme cases the gamers really create another reality somehow 
like being preoccupied all the time with your online presence, forgetting your reality, driving and thinking at the same time on your online persona. So it can be destructive. While the symptoms and harms are real, not all digital addictions are clinically recognized. It is not a formal term to, to use. Online gambling is listed on the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Health Disorders. And last year, the World Health Organization recognized gaming disorder as a new diagnosis. But when it comes to our phones and social media usage, while we may think of these as the worst culprits of addictive behavior, the research in this space is still pretty fresh. So there's not a lot written about how these devices can be addictive. These are new phenomena that people aren't used to use in the addiction literature. We need to know more precisely what is in them that can be seen as addictive elements, and also in which cases we would really call that with full confidence an addiction. But right now we use it there metaphorically in the case of social media and digital media. But psychologist Luke Vu points out just because there's not a whole lot of literature doesn't mean there can't be a problem. You don't need to have a diagnosis of diabetes before you start to have the measures if you're pre-diabetic. Sometimes that's how I feel with addiction. You definitely can work on it earlier. When you meet with someone yeah. and you're talking through their digitally addictive behavior, mm-hmm. what's step one? You might just want to be more deliberate and mindful with your gaming or your whatever the digital thing is. Be deliberate about it. I do recommend sort of, um, I guess, digital hygiene practices, right? So, for example, if it's a social media thing and it's interfering with sleep, one of the air quotes interventions would be, okay, well, let's, let's look at charging your phone outside of the bedroom. You know, there's no real particular need for your phone to be by your bedside because... And the person in front of me is, is telling me that it's really impairing their sort of quality of life because they wake up sort of exhausted and tired. Set some healthy practices here, you know, charge it in the living room, which, by the way, I get a lot more resistance to that than, than I originally first thought. Once people adapt to that, then, you know, at that point, they're like, okay, well, you know, life's pretty good now, Luke. Um, yeah, I don't feel as much as a problem. Self-regulating your use of digital tech Luke says doesn't just help those who feel they have a digital addiction, but more casual users as well. I have some clients who, they're like sort of constant news checkers. They tend to get quite upset and irritable at the injustice of the world. And it could be from everything, like climate change and protesting this. The question then is like, how is this becoming a larger problem? It is because of the greater access. By the same token, um, they also self-regulate. So, you know, it doesn't take much for them to go, okay, you know what, maybe I'm just on the news too much. Um, when I'm on the train commuting to work, I'm just not going to bounce from news site. I'm just going to play my favorite album or a podcast or something that isn't going to sort of create that sort of problem. Ryan Alley agrees, but he argues that the problem goes deeper than keeping tabs on your own behavior. He believes it has more to do with the technology itself. So we know for sure that the design of the digital media exploits some human tendency for relatedness, for recognition, 
and also the variable reward uh, which you can find in twitter in facebook and all digital media social media we know for sure that these influence elements are very effective and combined with the with the power of the data analytics and artificial intelligence knowing the person behavior online their locations the device they are using the likes they have done in the past their friends and so on it can actually be manipulated so it can reach to the point where a person is being presented with information which are likely to attract their attention and likely to keep them immersed in the online space with their conscious users or sometimes without even being conscious of, of that. So we know for sure that digital media is now far more powerful in getting attention and also through their persuasive elements, through some influence elements from psychology and from marketing. They are very powerful right now. So we know that for sure. Taking that a step further, and looking at the hardware of digital media, so the smartphone, are those devices designed to be addictive? Well, thank you for this question. It's really an important question. So we have now a, a work with a company, and the company is Modita, in both the United States and Poland. And they are actually designing a phone. We call it digital minimalist. So for example, the screen will look like the Kindle screen, where you, you feel like you're reading a book. So it doesn't really stimulate much of the brain. And if people are looking at their mobile before they sleep, they will get less stimuli in comparison to the actual phone. The phone that we like to see in the future is a phone which enables people to be more concentrated on their life, not on the phone itself. Beyond screens... Ryan and his research team are looking at more self-aware operating systems that would play a bigger role in helping you monitor your use of your device. Addiction-aware technology is something that technology can do and other media for addiction cannot do. So, for example, uh, cigarettes, tobacco, alcohol, they cannot predict whether a person is likely to drink more or to smoke more and when they are doing that behaviour. That is something technology can do. And this is really unprecedented in the literature of psychology and, and, and behavioral change. So a medium, an addictive medium, which is able to sense when the person is using it and to inter interfere and to intervene in order to guide the behavior in a certain direction or to inform about the behavior. This is something which is unprecedented and is an opportunity that tech companies can do in comparison to other mediums known for their addictive nature, like the, uh, the tobacco and alcohol. What's an example? How, how might a digital technology interfere here? Well, I mean, that's an interesting question, because digital media companies, I say usually, this is not our responsibility, and we don't want to interfere with how people are using our products, because that's something for the user to decide, not for us. However, in our research group, we are saying, okay, that's absolutely fine. However, enable the user to install third-party applications which can access their data and enable them to have that service. If you don't want to do that, and we fully understand that you don't want to interfere so people can use it the way they like, we understand that. But we are demanding tech company, big tech company, to enable third-party application to access the user's behavior data online. If their third-party application access the user data online, they can actually implement certain behavioral change and behavioral awareness mechanism with the consent of the user. So the user has to consent those third-party application 
to network with the operating system, to network with Facebook, with Twitter, with any other social media they use, retrieve their data at certain level of granularity. So for example, the number of checks, the number, the time they use it, and help the user in order to regulate that time. Where self-regulating and addiction-aware technology may work for some, others might prefer something different, like going cold turkey. Over the past few years, the digital detox has come onto the scene. It came from this idea of trying to switch off from technology, um, trying to get away from that kind of 24-7 presence of it. Natasha Mountner is a professor of social science, philosophy and method at Newcastle University in the UK. And Natasha explains the digital detox isn't so much an idea or a goal to set yourself. It's a retreat. It was a niche in the market. Companies have jumped in and started creating these digital detox retreats and saw it as a commercial opportunity to provide a space where you weren't allowed to bring any kind of tech with you. The reason people should do or try a digital detox is simply about recharging. And the idea that you would use that to reconnect with yourself and reconnect with nature and reconnect with others in a sort of face-to-face way. So partly this idea of returning to something a more quote-unquote authentic way of life. I think that's definitely where, where it came from. What do you make of the digital detox retreat? Um, I mean, I think as an idea, as a, as a retreat, I don't think it's necessarily problematic because it offers things like you know meditation and yoga and healthy food and Obviously, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I think that fundamentally, though, underpinning it is this assumption that somehow that's going to address a problem, which of course it isn't, because you go away on your on your retreat. Well, you've still got to come back to an inbox full of emails or you know a smartphone and full of notifications and so on. So it's a kind of it's a bit of a a short term fix for a problem that is larger. It also, in a sense, it individualizes the problem. It's up to us as individuals to deal with this. And and one of the ways of doing that is by going on a digital detox retreat. Natasha also worries that the underlying message of the digital detox reinforces an unhealthy narrative about our relationship with technology. This idea of reconnecting with your authentic self, with nature, and this idea that technology somehow is something that takes us away from the authentic life. It's something that takes away from some kind of pure, wholesome life. And I think that's, that's actually a really unhealthy way of thinking about technology. It's really unhelpful as well because, you know, once these technologies are invented, they just become more and more embedded in our lives. They don't disappear. Do you think there's a cultural view that if we're present in the digital world or we engage with digital technologies that that's inauthentic? There's a sort of subcurrent, you know, when you read a lot of the work that's done around this, as well as, you, you know, you read what's in the media, there is this idea, isn't there, that technologies are a force for evil. They're a force for good, 
but they're also a force for evil. And you see that particularly, I think, in discourses around the relationship between children and technology and how children are using technology and and how you know children should be playing outside and they should be in nature and they shouldn't be stuck in front of screens all day. Now, you know, you might agree with that and I might agree with that and, and I have three children and so I, I kind of see that as well firsthand. I think these are not either rules. That's the problem, I think, is that they're presented as either rules. And so there's this idea that technology kind of leads to inauthenticity and getting away from technology leads back to authenticity. And I think that's a false, a false binary. This binary understanding of technology, Natasha believes, is what makes us quick to call our use of digital technologies addictive behaviour. She recognises that for some, digital addiction is a serious problem, but argues it's damaging to label behaviour addictive when it isn't. How can we dismantle that binary? Yes, well, that's absolutely sort of the question that has interested and preoccupied me in my own research in this area, is how do we get away from that binary? It's very, very difficult. So the research that I've done is trying to think about how technology is simply providing new ways of doing things that we've always done. So it's not about intrinsically the technology itself being good or bad. It's thinking about, okay, well, let's look at what people are actually using these technologies for. Actually, they're using them to read books. They're using them to read the news, what's happening in the world. They're using them to communicate. They're using them to shop. They're using them to bank. So if you start looking at it that way, it gets us away from treating technology as kind of a monolithic thing. Start looking at the different functions and purposes. And then that makes it easier to say, ah, well, we can see that these ways of using technology are actually no different to the things we've always done before. Obviously, there are other ways in which people are using technology, which are more problematic. But then those things always existed. Like, for example, you know, there's a big debate around children's access to pornographic material using technology online. Pornography has always existed. It's just a different form that it's taking now to look at it in those terms. And I think that begins to get us away from that polarizing debate between technology as force for good or evil. We shouldn't demonize the technology. It's really important, I think, not to demonize it because longer term, this is how our lives will be played out. This is how things will get done. Technology is here to stay. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jake Morecambe. Thanks for your company. <laughs>